Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. Today we are in the fifth and final week of our sermon series called The First Letter, where for the last five weeks we've taken this journey through the earliest known Christian document, the book of 1 Thessalonians, to see what it is this ancient text has to teach us about becoming better, more faithful followers of Jesus in our own time and place. So this morning, and to close this series out with something that I think a whole lot of people are wrestling with these days, given the state of our world We're going to be talking about the rapture, the end of the world, but most importantly, what Paul has to teach us about how we should be responding to all of that. So how many of you guys are ready for a bit of fun this morning? Anybody? All right. Doesn't that sound like fun for you Bible nerds out there? So Paul begins in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 by saying this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. Now, what the opening line of this teaching reveals is that Paul is answering an important question the Thessalonians seem to be struggling with, and that question is this. What happens to our friends and loved ones if they die before Jesus returns? Again, what happens to our friends and loved ones if they die before Jesus returns? Now, the reason they are asking this question is because these people in that time and place really do think that Jesus is coming back in their lifetime, or he is coming back very very soon. So the Thessalonians are worried that because some of their friends and family have died, they will not get to take part in the resurrection. They will be left out when Jesus comes back. So Paul, in answering this question, says this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Or the way Paul goes about answering the question is he basically explains, hey guys, you don't need to worry about those who have died in Christ because when Jesus comes back, not only will they be a part of it, but they will precede those who are still alive. But then to to make the point a bit more clear, Paul then goes on to, to give them this metaphorical picture of what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. He says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, on first reading of this explanation, it seems to be the case that Paul is literally describing how Jesus his return is going to take place. In that as Jesus comes down out of heaven, there's going to be a loud shout from the archangel. There's going to be this trumpet call of God. And then those who have died in Christ will rise from the dead to meet Jesus in the air, then followed by those in Christ who are still alive. And then this is also the place where we get our understanding of the rapture. This is kind of the popular notion of the rapture today, or how one day Jesus returns, we'll all be caught up in the air to meet Jesus, leaving those who are not Christians left behind. But with all of that being said, what I would like to propose to you 
about what Paul's actually doing here, which we miss because we don't live in that time and place, nor do we speak the language, is that Paul is actually not trying to be literal here in that he's giving us an exact description of what's going to happen when Jesus returns, but instead is offering a metaphor that the people in that time and place would have understood to make his point. But to see what Paul's doing here, we've got to get technical. So for you biblical nerds, put your thinking cap on and let's get after this thing, right? So again, verse 17 says this, after that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together to, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the phrase that gets translated as to meet here is the Greek phrase uh, disapantasis. Disapantasis. I think that's right. I'm not for sure on that deal. Don't quote me on that, but it's kind of like that. And what this phrase refers to in most cases is not just a general meeting of people. That's the way we interpret it. We all meet kind of deal, but instead actually refers to a huge event that everyone in the ancient world would have been familiar with. And what that event is, is the perusa or how cities would respond when their king would return home after winning a great war for their nation. And how these events would happen is that as the king and all the soldiers are coming back from uh, winning the war, once they got a certain distance from the city, the soldiers would shout, right? And when you have a huge mass of soldiers, you know how far that can go. They would blow their horns and the people in the city who would be familiar what's with what's going on would drop whatever it is they were doing and all go out to meet the king and all the soldiers in this huge celebration because of their victory. Or maybe to get kind of a modern day picture of what this might have been like, I want you guys to think about the huge parade that the Chiefs had last year after they won the Super Bowl. And that millions of Chiefs fans showed up from all over the place to celebrate and honor them for their amazing accomplishments. Or for those of you who are a bit older, think back to the ticker tape parades and celebrations that were thrown when the troops came home from World War II after their victory. Yeah, well, this is similar to what Paul's trying to describe as he talks about Jesus' return. In that, just like a town comes out to celebrate their king after a great victory, so it will be when King Jesus returns. Do you guys see the connection there? When everything is made right, we'll all go out to meet him. But to make this metaphor work, when Jesus comes back, the people are not just going to be coming out of town to greet their king. No, when Jesus comes, he's going to come from heaven, and so we're going to go out and meet him in the air. So are you guys seeing that Paul is clearly using a metaphor to, to make one of his points here? Anybody tracking? I know this is kind of heavy. I need one person to nod so we can go on. There we go. Now, um, what I ultimately think all of that means for us is we've got to be very, very careful about taking something Paul uses as a metaphor to make his point as something literal or as an explanation of exactly what's going to happen when Christ returns. Now, of course, that could be exactly what happens, so we definitely need to keep it in mind, but because Paul is clearly using a metaphor here, I think we also need to be careful regarding what the rapture is or what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Okay, so now that you guys are wrapping your brain around all of that, let us now move on into what I think is most important, what Paul has to teach us about how we should be responding to the end of the world, or a bit more specifically, what it is we should be doing to prepare ourselves for Jesus' return whenever or however that happens. Now, as most of you know and probably have experienced over the last month or so because of what has unfolded in Israel and around the world, there's a lot of talk, and I mean a lot of talk, 
that what is happening there is a sign of the time, or it's evidence that we're living in the end days right before Jesus returns. And the reason many people think this is because there's a large tradition or way of thinking in popular Christianity today that is all about trying to use the Bible not only to figure out how the world ends, um, but the specific instances leading up to that or how it's all going to unfold. For example, in the late 70s, Hal Lindsey wrote this best-selling book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Or what he did was he tried to connect biblical prophecy with what was going on in the world at that time to make a case for how we were living in the end times. And then even though Hal Lindsey got a ton of things wrong in similar fashion, in the late 80s and 90s, you have ministers like John Hagee trying to show the same thing, using biblical prophecy in his time and place to make his point. But of course, the most famous books that have ever been written on this topic, at least in modern history, were the Left Behind series. Anybody read the Left Behind series? I'm kind of surprised there's not more people who didn't read the Left Behind series. Now, what this series is, is a series of novels that not only told this incredible story about what happened to a group of people who had been left behind after the rapture, but it took the work of Tim LaHaye, a predominant minister and teacher at that time, and wove into these gripping stories his understanding of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Which, by the way, if you're looking for a good read, it's a great series to get into. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Well, because authors and teachers like these, along with thousands of others in many parts of Christianity, this became the way to interpret biblical prophecy, which is still very, very popular today as people try to go about figuring out when the end times are going to happen. And for those of you who are still a part of this particular tradition, by all means, if this is how you think we should interpret Scripture, then you do you. I could be completely wrong here. But with that being said, let me share with you why after years and years of reading all of these books, doing the best I could to keep up with and understand the signs of the time, that I've chosen a different way of dealing with the end of the world, which I get in large part from what Paul says next in chapters five, or excuse me, chapter 5, 1 through 10. So Paul continues. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and date, we do not need to write you. Or given that Paul has just given us a metaphor or a picture of what will happen when Jesus returns, it's very clear that the times and dates that Paul is talking about here are the times and dates leading up to Jesus' return. Which means what Paul says next is going to be his answer to what we can know and then how we should be responding to all of this. Paul continues, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, what I believe Paul is doing here when he uses this metaphor thief in the night is he's pointing out to us that just like nobody knows or, or can predict when a thief is going to show up at your house in the middle of the night, that is actually what we can know about when Jesus will return. Which then is made even more clear in what he says next. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them, Suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Or note here again that this event is going to come some, suddenly, something out of the blue like happens when a woman goes into labor. We can have a gist of when that's going to happen, but we can't predict it exactly. And then after Paul makes his case that we can't know for sure when Jesus is going to return, he then goes on to talk about how we should be responding by saying this. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. 
We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's making a comparison between people of the day and people of the night, with people of the day being those who have given their lives to Christ and have devoted themselves to following him while the people of the night haven't. The point being that even though we can't know for certain when Jesus returns, because again, it's going to happen like a thief in the night, is that if you will live your life devoted to following and serving Jesus in where you are as you are, or in other words, if you will live ready, then it doesn't matter if the end of the world happens this afternoon at noon before you're done eating turkey. It doesn't matter if it happens this week, this year, or a thousand years from now. If you are a child of the day, you will be just fine. See how that works? Which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus has to say on the matter as well, or more importantly, where Paul gets his information from. Or in Matthew 25, 36 through 38, Jesus says this, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Yeah, Jesus says, it's not just humans and angels who are not going to know, but he doesn't even know, which then begs the question, if Jesus doesn't know, how are we supposed to know? Right? Well, as Jesus goes on to explain, it's, the reason we don't know is because it's going to be similar to the experience that many people had before the flood, right? For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. And then to keep going, we also find that Jesus, just like Paul, uses the metaphor of the thief in the night, but in a bit different way to talk about how we should respond or how we should be ready for this event. He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't expect it. Again, the point being, the way we should respond to not knowing is always being ready. Or we simply need to devote ourselves to following Jesus with everything that we are in our time and place. Because again, if we'll do that, if we'll give ourselves to doing what God calls us to do, it doesn't matter when it happens or how it happens, we will be just fine. You guys are supposed to stand up and cheer at that point. I don't know <laughs> what's going on here. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Okay. So, so what I think all of that means for us today, especially as, as we keep track of what's going on in the war in Israel and the rest of the world and how it's responding, I know there's anxiety. I get that. Is that it's not our job to know. It's not our job to know if this is the beginning of the end or not, because it could be. We don't know. No, our job is to give ourselves to following Jesus every single day to the best of our ability, no matter what's going on in the world. Because again, if we do that, 
doesn't matter when it happens or how it happens, we're going to be just fine. Or even more than that, we're going to be great because we get to live on in the presence of Christ forever. Come on now, right? So what, the reason I shared this with you this morning, besides it's a part of this um, series and all that kind of stuff, is because there's a lot of people who sit around worrying about this stuff, right? This, this is something that consumes them, and I don't want you to worry about it anymore. I want you to do what God calls you to do in your time and place, right? What you need to do now, and let the rest go, and let God take care of everything else, because if you will do that, again, you're going to be just fine. Even more than that, you're going to be fantastic when it's all said and done. And I hope that brings you some peace and some hope. And I hope instead of sitting around worrying, you'll get up and go do something. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. You'll love God with everything that you are because that's what God is calling us to do. Let us pray. Father, again, so grateful for this series and the many topics that the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, has helped us to wrestle with. But today, oh Lord, help us to begin to see that, it, that it's not our job to know. It's not our job to predict the end, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. No, our job in this world is to give ourselves each and every day to be in your hands and feet. And our jobs, and our family, and our life, that's what you call us to do. You call us, in a sense, to, to reflect your glory, your radiance, your goodness to the world. So, Lord, help us to focus in on that. Help us to give everything that we are to serving you and then to let the rest go, knowing that when it happens, no matter how it happens, we are going to be just fine because we have given our lives to you. We are ready. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.